am reluctant to have such long passages. Nevertheless, this is what I think God wants us to see this morning. So, enduring hostility against the gospel, that is our topic this morning as we continue selected lessons from the book of Acts in Pastor Jeff's absence. After becoming followers of Jesus, it doesn't take us very long to realize that we live in a world that's hostile to God. Evil is everywhere, and it is increasing. Why is this world evil? Because Satan is evil, and the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. This world is in his control, not ultimately God's sovereign over all things, but God has relegated him to, the, to this earth. He hates God. He is against God and all that God is doing. And because you belong to Christ, he's against you. Some believers naively think that if they just live well, everything's going to be fine. Actually, the, res- the opposite is true. Because the spiritual environment in which we live Experiencing hostility against the gospel of Christ is as easy as opening our mouths to give testimony to Christ. And some of you have experienced that, as I have, and today's lesson is going to help us stand in this kind of context. First of all, let's talk about the presence of hostility, and I will give you a bit of an apology for your note-taking outline. It was supposed to be two pages. Something got lost in transmission there. So you really don't have enough space today for all that you'll want to write down if you write down things. I apologize. That isn't the way it was supposed to be, but it is, in fact, how it is. Uh, So the presence of hostility. Persecution and hostility is not an unfortunate happenstance in the believer's life. It's part of our calling. Notice the words from the very book we're studying. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Paul wrote to Timothy, his young protege, all, how many? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What are God's purposes for it? If God is truly sovereign, and he is, then there are purposes that he has for allowing the enemy this leeway in our lives. First of all, to purify the gospel's messengers. Possibly you've experienced this. When persecution is leveled at you, you have a heightened sense of neediness and you examine your ways before the Lord. That's the purifying effect of hostility. Peter who is the recipient of hostility in our text, would later write these words as a commentary on the purifying tool that hostility can be in God's hands. He says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Interesting that he puts busybody in the same category as those other things. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the household of God. Isn't that an encouraging verse? It's time for judgment to begin with us. (laughs) 
No, it's not encouraging. You can smile at that. It's not. But it's true. And God has a purifying effect for the things that we suffer in this world. It's also to strengthen us, to strengthen us as messengers of the gospel. Dear ones, we never see how empty we really are until we are faced, until we're in the crosshairs of a hostility. It is then that our soul cries out with God and we agree with the prophet. Say that with me. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Boy, I couldn't hear you. (laughs) Y'all are so timid this morning. You'll get another chance. So hostility is one of God's tools. Do you believe that? I'm not saying do you like it. Do you believe it? It's one of his tools. God is working in us. And he wants to produce a spiritual reflex when we're persecuted or when we face hostility for the sake of the gospel, we run to him automatically, immediately, and we're strengthened in him. Also, to demonstrate the contrast between religion and relationship with Christ. Stay with me and you'll see why I gave you this point. Religion is as intolerant of grace as grace is of religion. Religion is rooted in man's quest to make himself acceptable to God by his own merit and his own good works. Dear ones, I would be a very wealthy man if I had a dollar for every time I've asked somebody about their relationship with Christ and they told me about their baptism or their church membership or an uncle on their mother's side that was a Baptist preacher or something. By the way, God doesn't have grandchildren. And none of that matters. What matters is that we have a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Religion is a tool used by Satan all over the globe to keep people occupied with their own self-righteousness and to keep them away from the truth of Christ. As our verse, as our chapter, verse chapter four opens, we see religious people. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Who are these people? Well, as you heard read, the priests were offering the evening sacrifice. And Peter and John's teaching was no doubt interfering with the performance of their duties. The captain of the temple was actually the chief of the temple police. The Romans relegated order in the temple area to the Jews themselves. So this man viewed Peter and John as a potential disturbance. And then there are the Sadducees. They are a group of religious leaders who accepted only the books of Moses, and yet the apostles are preaching that Jesus fulfilled the words of the prophets, a section of the Old Testament that they did not accept as valid. They did not accept or believe in miracles, and yet there's a miracle standing right in front of them, a lame man made to walk. And they did not believe in the resurrection. And yet the apostles kept proclaiming Jesus, whom they crucified as risen from the dead and offering salvation to anyone who would believe in him. They were a little upset 
that Peter and John's message was colliding with their religious comfort zone. And so by the time the Sanhedrin hears, and the San, when I say the Sanhedrin, that's the group, that's all this together, the group of leaders uh, that made up that group. They, by the time they hear of Peter and John, they draw the conclusion that we see in verse 13. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John spoke with such a confidence and authority that the Jewish leaders were reminded of the ministry of Jesus. This looks like what we noticed in Christ. And God drew a distinction between these dead religious leaders and the living, vital, effective relationship with the risen Lord Jesus Christ that was in the apostles that so obviously permeated all their being and exuded from them. <clears throat> Let's look at Peter and John's responses and learn how we can have a posture in hostility. First of all, they, I see that they were submissive to authority. Now, you might immediately say, well, what if our authority on earth collides with God's authority? We'll get to that here in a moment. But look at verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the house of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter and John go to the temple about three in the afternoon. That's the time of the evening sacrifice. And why'd they do that? Because that's when most of the people would be there. And they believed that the gospel message needed to hit the ears of the people, of their own people, so they go when it would be the most crowded. And they're apprehended, they're placed in jail, and the big guns are assembled against them. This is in 5 and 6. We see it came to pass the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, as many as were the, of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Let's just go down this list for a second. The rulers, who are they? They're the chief priests. The elders, those are the tribal heads. The scribes are the experts in the law. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas, they're kind of one and the same. Annas was the true high priest, but he was not doing a whole lot. His son-in-law, Caiaphas, was the actual high priest. And by the way, the instigator of Jesus' crucifixion. Pause a second and think about how compassionate and merciful your God is. How many times has Caiaphas been faced with Jesus and the claims of Jesus? This is now the third time he hears that Jesus has risen from the dead. God is merciful. We don't know anything about John and Alexander and the family of the high priest other than what we have here. But the way Luke writes, under inspiration of the Spirit, it seems... It seems to suggest that Theophilus, the receptor of this book, would have actually known who they were. Well, they ask a question, by what power 
and by what authority have you done this? Well, they actually already know the answer to their question. It's no secret whose disciples Peter and John were. The lame man wasn't healed in private. The question's a setup. Much like Jesus' trial was a setup. The question is trying to get them to invoke this name that the religious leaders consider blasphemous. The situation is bleak for Peter and John. If they rationalize and think, well, we better not say Jesus or our gooses are cooked, then they offend God. If they say, well, let's speak the truth, then they're probably going to be the next ones crucified in Jerusalem. So Peter and John at this point have a decision to make. Their human authorities have just collided with God's command to bring the gospel to all people as they commanded them not to speak anymore in this name. And there's a huge lesson here for us. No one enjoys being mistreated or ostracized. None of us is comfortable with injustice and ridicule being leveled at us because we've identified with Christ. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. But, beloved, we need to settle who it's best to offend. I settled this a long time ago. I would much rather offend people with the truth than offend God by withholding the truth from people who need to hear it. Now, I don't want to personally be an offense. You know, we can say the right thing the wrong way and be an offense ourselves. We need to be careful there. But if the message is an offense, then so be it. People need to hear the message of Christ. What do Peter and John do? It says they were filled with the Spirit. What does this mean? When we say we're filled with the Spirit, in your notes you have controlled and empowered. Let me expand that just a little bit. Being filled with the Spirit is being willfully submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit, whereby our choices are guided by His discretion, our direction is determined by His guidance, and our thinking, our words, and our behavior are under His control. By the way, if you'd like to have that and I've gone too fast, just take your phone out and snap that picture. It'll, you'll save it that way. Waiting, waiting, okay. All right, so let's, <laughs> let's observe what happens here. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are, and I'll just love this, if we are this day judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he was made well, let it be known to you all, that all and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Here again is Peter being very bold, being filled with the Spirit. And remember from last week, boldness is one of the signs that you're being controlled by God. Uh, not obnoxiousness, but confidence to speak in a hostile situation. And something else happens to Peter here. He has a spirit-anointed thought that comes to him, and it's full of wisdom. The, so the, the Holy Spirit controlling Peter's mind and mouth 
lets this statement come out. If we are this day judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, that just puts the Sanhedrin in a real predicament. Has that ever happened to you? Where God just gave you a word on the spot. Um, years ago, I was working in a warehouse unloading trucks, and this big, muscular truck driver appeared with a coworker. We're in the warehouse with a lot of pallets, and he was speaking very, in a very foul way, taking the Lord's name in vain constantly. Now, I've heard foul language most of my life, and I can take most of it, but the name of the Lord is holy, and I couldn't take it anymore, and something happened. I didn't think about it. I didn't pause. It just happened. It boiled up in me, and I said to him, one day you're going to stand in front of that God whose name you're taking in vain and give an account of how you're using his holy name. He looked stunned. We parted from one another, continued our work. In a moment, I rounded a large stack of pallets that I couldn't see around, and a hand grabbed me. And I thought, hmm, I think my facial features are about to be rearranged because <laughs> it was him. It was him. But what I saw really, really shocked me. Here's this bear of a man with tears running down his cheeks. And he said to me, I was raised in a good Christian home. And I gave my life to Christ as a young person. But I have wandered very far from God. And God used your words to convict me just now. I promise you I wasn't expecting that response. But it illustrates how in a moment when you're walking with God, and I know that you've experienced things like this too, we, we are filled, we're controlled and empowered by him, and he allows us to hear his voice and speak a truth into someone's life. Dear ones, two Sundays ago, Eric Holland reminded us we have one task, one task, and that is to proclaim Christ to the world around us. A spirit-filled church is an uncompromising church. It's a church that's focused on the task that the Lord has given us. And we will not become bogged down in issues of lesser temporal importance. Instead, we will be a powerful, victorious church intent on proclaiming Christ. We also need to be confident in Christ because of what's at stake. Peter knew the potential outcome of speaking the name of Jesus to this group. Yet he felt compelled. He believed that it was true, that they were guilty of the life of Christ, and yet God had raised him from the dead, and the offer of hope was there. He believed that, and nothing was going to stop him. He confidently asserted, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And he proclaimed that although rejected, Jesus was still the only way of salvation. This, this Jesus, is the stone which 
was rejected by you builders. And he's pointing back to these Jewish leaders, you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you read verse 12 with me? I need you to hear yourself say this. Verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Dear ones, Jesus is not one of many ways. He is not even the best of the ways. He is the one and only exclusive way to get to heaven, to see God for eternity. All who endeavor to follow any other way, all who follow any other name, any other system will be lost eternally in the lake of fire that never is quenched. Be confident in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? His way is the only truthful way. And his way of truth brings life. Now, at this point, I also want to encourage you who always want to give the perfect response. You don't have to raise your hands, but I know there are some of you out there like that. And that tendency will cause you to not give testimony sometimes because your mind doesn't think fast enough. I, I'm, t I'm right there with you, okay? But listen, let me, let me remind you of something. It might shock you. You're not perfect, and you never will be. And I have it on good authority that God has a lot of experience using imperfect people. What he wants is obedient people. So I'll tell you when I'm perfect, I can give you the perfect responses about 30 minutes after the encounter. Right, can, can you relate? Yeah, when you're going back over it in your mind, and you're like, oh, I wish I'd said... That's all of us. But Christ calls us to obedience. Sanctify Christ, again, Peter's words, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And how often to be ready? Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, but with gentleness and respect. If you walk in obedience, beloved, your confidence will grow your abilities to respond will grow because God's gift, God's spirit resides in a very imperfect vessel and he is growing you into Christ's image. Your obedience will produce more and more growth in that area. And speaking of obedience, that's our next point. Be obedient to God at all costs. The rulers were absolutely speechless in the face of this truth. Look at verse 14. Uh, in fact, I'm going to read a few verses here. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They're absolutely speechless. And when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people... Let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John 
answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Uh, back to the point, obedience. This, their obedience left the rulers speechless, and they commanded them in verse 18 not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. I find it a bit ironic that the early church had to be commanded to be quiet, while modern churches have to be commanded to speak. Obedience is a matter that needs to be settled ahead of time as well. No soldier waits until warfare to determine to obey his commander's orders. That's a, that's a settled issue. And dear ones, if you're not settled on that, today might be the day that you need to settle that issue. Whether Christ is your commander or whether you're not in full submission to him, I hope that you make good on that settlement. We also see them valuing the prayer support of the church. In times of hostility toward us, for the sake of the gospel, we need to run into the comfort and mutual passion and concern of those closest to you in the Lord. I want you to take note of their prayer. Um, first of all, here's their prayer. They recognize, I think this is in your notes too, they recognize the, the world's hostility to God's truth. 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, this is from Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. So the first thing you do is that in prayer, they acknowledge that hostility is a historical reality. They go all the way back to David's time with this quotation. And then they talk to the Lord about the hostility in their day. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. They also affirmed that the hostility is within the sovereign plan of God. Listen, if you're surprised by hardship and hostility, it's okay. Don't continue to be surprised. Remember that God rules over all these things. Look at verse 28. The Gentiles, starting, let me back up a little bit into 27. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, now watch this, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Well, wait a second. Didn't evil people crucify Jesus? Yes, they did. But it was never outside of God's purpose and his plan to send his son as a redeemer Hostility is, same with us, hostility is present. It is around us. It will affect you. It will hurt you. But God allows it for the reasons we've talked about. And we need to run back to him because he will defend us. Truth, beloved, 
is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. You just let it out. It'll defend itself. That's truth. They affirmed the hostil- that hostility is within the sovereign plan of God, and they leaned harder into dependency upon God. Look at 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And their prayer leads me to my final point, which I don't think you have in your notes, but you may add it at this point. Desire greater boldness. Look at the screen. Now, Lord, look on their threats and protect us from them. Is that what it says? And grant that your servants, that with all boldness, they may speak your word. Wasn't it their boldness that got them in trouble in the first place? No, yeah. But, beloved, when you're bold over the right thing, you don't have to back down. And you don't have to apologize. We have the message of hope that people need. And if we get hurt over it, so be it. If it's uncomfortable, so be it. In their asking for boldness, they ask for God to grant it, now watch this, in a manner that would unmistakably be God and glorify the Lord Jesus. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's the way we ought to be praying amid hostility. Now, what happened as a result? Have you read ahead yet? 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was together, together was shaken. God pronounced a cosmic amen <laughs> to the prayer. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They continued on the mission that God had given them. Hostility toward Christ and his people is part of life on this planet. We call ourselves the church. Church is an English word that comes from the Scottish kirk. But if you go back to the Greek language, it's ekklesia. Ek is a pronoun. It means out of. Klesia is a, is a form of the word kaleo, to be called out. What is the church? It's of all the people of the planet, of every generation that God loves. It's not his will that any should perish. There is a special group that's called out, ecclesia, the called out, the special ones that God has. We are his chosen lights to this world. And light exposes, dispels darkness. That is why there's hostility. And beloved, the enemy will stop at nothing to silence you. He will send discouragement, disillusionment, embarrassment, ostracizing. Some people will defame your character, damage your reputation, 
all in hopes that he will produce a defeatist attitude in you and silence you. The way of disallowing this is what we've just seen. Be filled with the Spirit. Be confident in Christ. Determine to obey God at all costs. Stay connected to the prayer involvement of the church. Pray for greater boldness. Say it again, please. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it instructs us, how it makes us more able to fulfill your will. Again, Lord, I thank you for bringing it to us, for giving it to us, for preserving it. Thank you that we can look at it together and see where it brings us up short and we can lay that down in front of you for you to deal with, Lord, with your power and your presence. Can I just encourage you as you think about what you've just heard, if God has shown you something that you need to talk to him about, would you do that right now where you are? Don't wait till later. Do it now in these silent moments. We are grateful, Lord, for your mercy toward us. We are very much aware that we are flawed vessels. But, Lord, we want to be your instruments of grace in the lives of others. And we pray that you would make that happen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand and let's close with a prayerful song. It's one you probably know. Have thy